Everything this morning has to do with peace. And here's my question for you. It'll be there. Give it time, I promise. There are so many ways that life is better. There are so many ways that life has become empirically better. You know what empirically means. Statistically speaking, we can value this. There are so many ways that life has become empirically better worldwide in the last 200 years. Why then do we seem to not be more peaceful? Do you know that the number one thing that I prayed for with you on Wednesday night, Wednesday night, Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, you lined up outside of the Connection Center and you came through and one at a time we prayed together and I imposed ashes. Do you know the number one thing that I prayed for with each and every person that came through, almost to the person, when I took your hands and I said, what do we need to pray for this year? Can we pray for peace? And we're not talking beauty pageant world peace. There was a real desire in people's lives that said, we just don't feel at peace. If things have gotten so much better in the last 200 years, why aren't we more peaceful? Well, let's find out what you think about whether things have gotten better or not. Here's our first question. All right. In the year 1800, here is the stat. 194 countries practice state-organized forced labor. We call that slavery. 194 in 1800. In 2017, how many do you think still do? 15, 3, or 8? Tell me what you think. In a 217-year period, we began at 194, and we were one of those in 1800. Okay, let's see what you think. All right, so in 2017... By far, the majority of you thought that we, we had cut that down to 15. Remember, this is all about empirically we have gotten better. All right? Clayton, show us uh, what it actually was. 194 in 1803 in 2017. And here are those three countries. Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and surprise of surprise, North Korea. All right? I heard he said that if coronavirus came to Korea, there would be consequences. Yeah. All right. Number two. In the year 1800, the global literacy rate, people age 15 or older, okay, global literacy rate was 10%. In 1800, one, or, or one out of every 10 or 10 out of every 100 people could read or write basic literacy. As of 2016, from 10% in 1800, 216 years, 
what was the global literacy rate? Was it 67% at that point? Was it 86% at that point? Or was it 94% at that point? What do you think? Obviously, all three of those numbers are greatly improved. But how much did we improve from 10% in 200 years? All right. You said... 86%, all right? Only a couple were willing to go for that 94, and 32% said 67%. Let's see the slide. 86%. Now, as of 2018, this percentage has increased to over 91% worldwide. All right? Pretty amazing. The third example... In the year 1900, the percentage of Earth's land surface protected as nature reserves was 0.03%. We didn't even have 1% protected. As of 2016, in other words, this all has to do with Hootie the Owl. Does anybody remember Hootie the Owl from the 1970s? Give a hoot, don't pollute. This all has to do with how do we treat our land alright in 2016 if it was 0.03% in 1900 in just 116 years what do you think how much of our land is now protected all over the earth we're talking you know deforestation in, in uh, rainforests and things like that how much is protected Okay, let's see. All right, you said by far, 48%, well, not by far, but you said the 14.7. Few of you were brave enough to go to that 21.3, and just a couple of you said 12%. Let's see what it actually is, 14.7%. The natural park of the Coral Sea in the New Caledonia is the world's largest protected marine park. Get this, 499,000 square miles that we have protected. Think about that 14% figure now. From less than 1% had we cared about and protected. This goes to ozone depletion. I could have kept putting slide after slide after slide. Because I can show you empirically the earth is better than it's ever been in history. Wages are higher than they've ever been in history. When Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, that's not a false statement. I get it. You hear on the media, the gap between rich and poor has gotten wider. In fact, it has. The rich have gotten much richer. But can I tell you that in the United States of America, poverty is at $30,000. That's what we consider to be poor. 
In the United States of America, you have cell phones when you are considered on poverty. Our literacy rate is through the roof. Children's hunger and children's disease, we are wiping it out worldwide. Immunizations of children, it's happening worldwide. We are eradicating diseases that used to take the lives of countless people. And brothers and sisters, our greatest fear is a virus right now that we can control in large measure if you'll just do what your mama told you, wash your hands. Which goes to the fact that I could have put the screen up there, the, 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 the image, of how much drinkable water there is. And there is more drinkable water this year than there was last year because one of our own members and one of our own mission teams went down to Honduras and installed clean drinking water for them. And there are more abilities to live healthy. Life expectancy is way over 70 years of age now. So, I'm back to my question. If everything is getting better, and you can argue with me about everything, I'm talking about the baselines that we have always valued civilization by, hunger, resources, caring for the earth, literacy, equality, slavery, if all of those things are better, war. Do you know that we are at an all-time low in world history for terrorism? I know that you wouldn't believe it if you turned the television on. But do you know empirically that's the truth? Do you know we have lost less people to terrorism this year than ever in history? Do you know that we are at an all-time low for casualties of war than we have ever been in history. Less people are dying because of war than have ever died in the history of the world. Why aren't we more peaceful? Let me give you some thoughts on that. These are things that you can be like, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. As in everything, for me, it's all about definition. If somebody were to say to me, Tim, do you feel at peace? One of the first things I would have to ask somebody is, please define peace for me. All right? Ronald Reagan gave it a shot. You remember, he was the president that was there when, when, uh, uh, when basically the Soviet Union was beginning to fall apart at the end of the Cold War. And so everybody was kind of looking to that period of history as, as an ushering in maybe of new world peace, the Cold War, which was dominant in my childhood. Uh, it was just heating up. It was, you know, uh, Russia and the United States, the Soviet Union, we were at each other's throats. 
Ronald Reagan gave it a shot because Ronald Reagan said, maybe, maybe this is a familiar quote to many of you, peace is not the absence of conflict, Ronald Reagan said, it's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Now, I read that a couple times. I remember hearing that when I was younger. Peace is not the ab absence of conflict, but, okay, now we have to do it. But the, the ability, he says, to handle conflict by peaceful means. Can somebody explain that to me? You got to define peace before what peaceful means mean. I want, I, I know he has passed away, but I'd like for Ronald Reagan to stand here and say, tell me what peaceful means. Well, Gandhi gave it a shot. Gandhi said, peace is not the absence of conflict. These guys must have gone to the same school. Gandhi said, peace is not the absence of conflict. You get where they're going with this. You're going to have conflict, both these men said in life. And peace is not the absence of that. But it is the ability, Gandhi said, to cope with conflict. Well, I guess he came closer than Reagan did. But can you tell me what cope means? I know how to cope with conflict because I can get a bigger dog. I can, I can build a bigger missile and I can cope with your conflict by that. Martin Luther King thought Gandhi meant nonviolent, right? You cope with it. And Martin Luther King was a, a big fan of Gandhi. How do you define peace? You see, you have to be able to define peace if you're gonna read scripture this morning. Listen to what Jesus said. In Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 41. Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 41. As he drew near, this is that triumphal entry stuff. We're in Lent, right? This is that triumphal entry phase of, of Jesus' life. As he drew near to the city, he's riding on a donkey, remember? He saw the city, it says in Luke, and he wept over it. He cried over Jerusalem. That's that beautiful painting that we have, right? Lots of, lots of times um, we see him sitting on a rock and he's looking down over Jerusalem and, and he's crying and we see that, the, these verses up there, and he wept over Jerusalem. There's another portion of Scripture where Jesus' prayers and his words were, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have. Remember that? I would have gathered you to me as basically a hen gathers her chickens and, you know, you get that whole imagery. Well, this is Luke, the historian, that's saying, as he drew near, these are the words that he spoke. If you had known, even you, especially in your day, this day, the things that make for your peace. Jesus comes in and he's crying as he comes into Jerusalem and he says, if you would have known even you now in your time the things that would have brought you peace, but they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side and level you. Level your children with you. Not one stone will be left upon another in this city. The only wall that made it through the Roman siege of Jerusalem 
40 years after Jesus said this, the only wall that still stood to this day. Anybody? The Wailing Wall. The Wailing Wall. And one little bitty section, if you go there, you can see it. They've built upon it now, but one little bitty section uh, survived. They salted the streets so that nothing could even grow. You couldn't plant a garden in your backyard. And Jesus says as he's knowing, knowing, Jesus knowing what's coming, says to them, if you would have just known what would have brought you peace. Do you understand that if you're going to understand what Jesus means there, if that's going to be relevant to us, if that's going to mean anything to us, we're going to have to understand what Jesus means by peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the ability to cope with it. Is that what Jesus meant? If you'd have just known how to cope with peace. Obviously, this is just me. By the way, I got prayed on before service today up here by the same young man that prayed for our rooted, that preached at the rooted uh, from the Ferdinand area. He was in the wheelchair, and he said, you are the Jesse Duplantis of this area. I was like, I'll take that. Yeah, I can live into that one. If you don't know who Jesse Duplantis is, Google him. The bishop will be calling. If peace is somehow attached to how well we're doing with money in the world, we should be at peace with ourselves and with each other. If peace is somehow attached to how we're doing educationally, we should be at a greater level of peace with ourselves and with each other. We are more educated than we've ever been in the history of the world. But brothers and sisters, all those things are better. But we are not at peace. We're not at peace with ourselves as evidenced by Wednesday night, Ash Wednesday. What can I pray for you with, Pastor? Can we just pray for peace? When our income levels are higher than they've ever been, when our educational levels are higher than they've ever been, when families are living stronger than they've ever lived, when people are living longer than they've ever lived, when war is killing less people than it ever has, when terror is claiming less lives than it ever has, when we are able to travel more places in the world than we have ever traveled. What can I pray for you about? Can you pray for peace? The word that Jesus used here, the Greek word that gets translated for us into peace, because, you know, we only have so many English words to, to fill in for Greek words that, I mean, they had dozens. They had different words for love. We say love. They have different words for this idea of peace. And so you have to be very careful in Scripture. 
when Jesus says as he's coming into Jerusalem and he's crying and he's saying to Jerusalem, if you would have only known what would have brought you peace. The, the Greek word here simply means to join together. Now that is a form of peace. To be at peace with each other means that we have joined each other in some way. We are connected with each other in some way. Solomon knew this. One of Solomon's ways to have peace, do you remember what it was? The man had 700 wives. Why did he have 700 wives? Yeah, the men are going. Yeah, you better put your hand there, Kara Greenwood, and say, yeah, my husband can't live in peace with me. 699 more ain't making it better. You see, the idea for everybody, Solomon had the biggest army. So what, what was the way that you made peace with Solomon? You give him a wife. Here's my daughter. Because maybe if we are joined together, you won't attack family. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're back to one man and 700 wives. <laughs> the Greek word here, what Jesus was saying as he came into Jerusalem and his heart was broken to the point of tears was, if you would have known that to join with me would have been the thing to bring you peace, but it's too late for you now. You see, Jerusalem had already made their decision. They were going to kill this man. For what? For healing people. For what? For feeding people. For what? For loving people. They were going to kill this man. Rather than join with God, they were going to kill him. And so he says, if you had known what would bring you peace, to join with me in God's purpose and plan for this world. But it's too late for you now. And so let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to keep going after money. You're going to keep going after literacy. You're going to keep going after health. You're going to keep going... And Rome's going to come against you. They're going to build siege engines, and you're going to lock your gates and think that you can just keep Rome out, and Rome is going to tear your walls down, tear your gates down, salt your streets, and chase you up into the mountains where you're going to turn to cannibalism rather than surrender. Thomas Aquinas, in all of my research, gave me the best definition of peace. Thomas Aquinas lived in 1200. 1200. Thomas said, true peace consists in not separating ourselves from the will of God. If you want to be at peace, Thomas Aquinas said, one of the greatest Christian thinkers since Christ, We've got a few of them, St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley. We've, we've, got, we've got several great thinkers. Thomas Aquinas was one of the greatest. If you want to be at peace, true peace is going to come by not separating yourself from the will of God. 
Jesus is saying as he comes into Jerusalem. You see, Lent is a time, remember I told you last week, of reflecting on how are we doing? Is our, is our life in balance? And if it's not, guess what? Something's got to change. Something's got to change if things are not in balance for you. Change is hard. And in the words of Adrian Monk, probably one of the best quotes about change that I have comes from the TV detective series, Monk. He's an obsessive compulsive uh, uh, detective and he has a, a, an assistant named Sharona. She has an attitude. And this obsessive compulsive detective notices everything and he hates it when anything changes. And she looked at him one day and she said, you have a real problem with change, don't you? And he looked back at her and he said, no, I don't mind change. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Isn't that the way most of us feel? We don't mind change. We just don't want it to happen while we're there. Lent is about maybe things are out of balance and maybe some things need to change and that change is going to be hard. And so as we deal, as we deal with that change, what are we going to attach ourselves to? What are we going to be joined to? Are we going to join ourselves to Christ, His Word, and what He's doing? Because it's sometimes easier. Just We'll just join ourselves to money. That'll bring me peace. We'll just join ourselves to health. If I just got healthier, I'd be at peace. And you get healthier, and you come back the next year, and you're praying with the pastor, and the pastor says to you, what can we pray about? I haven't found peace yet. Well, why don't you try money this year? You try money and you come back the next year. Well, I haven't found peace yet. Yeah. Why don't you try a new spouse? No, I'd never tell you that. <laughs> because the truth is this. Joining to anything other than Christ is not going to bring you peace. It can bring you wealth. It can bring you health. It might make you happy for a little bit. Jesus says, if you had only known, then you wouldn't have faced the destruction. Heavenly Father, pray, I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would help us discover that it is in our joining to you, our surrender to you, and lives that are committed and dedicated to you. And Lord, money will take care of itself, and health will take care of itself, and, and all of the things will take care of themselves in this world. We work in your name, and, and we get better. But Lord, the answer to our soul, the answer to peace, remind us daily that it is always to be joined with you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand. Love to leave you with a blessing, and that the Lord would bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. God would lift up his countenance upon you, and I pray God would give you peace. God is good, and all the time. Go in peace. Have a great week, everybody.